Hello, and welcome to the Re-Re-Read podcast, a series of short craft talks based on classic literature. Today's topic is The Brothers Karamazov, In Praise of Brain Fever and the Devil. Last time we talked about how to make children interesting. Now let's do the same for Satan, by way of Ivan's bout with mental illness. Ivan is my favorite character in The Brothers Karamazov. He's the author insert, the tormented intellectual who makes up stories, and as such is Dostoevsky's portal into alternative realities. Margaret Atwood uses a tormented author character in The Blind Assassin to tell a science fiction story within a larger, realistic novel. In a similar way, Dostoevsky uses Ivan to give us metaphysical fables, which are juxtaposed with the so-called real story. Ivan has already brought us The Grand Inquisitor, which is more than we could ask of any character. Now, after an extended and rather wearying visit with Dmitri, Ivan's back. And he is better than ever, for he has come down with a case of that wonderful 19th century disease, brain fever. The symptoms of this illness always conveniently are exactly what the author needs them to be. I say that's a good thing. Not to pick on Ian McEwan, though I think he can take it, there's a potential loss when a writer builds a character around a specific diagnosis of mental illness. In McEwan's novels Saturday and Enduring Love, for example, I sense that to some extent diagnosis takes the place of character. It's as if diagnosis itself drives the story. I picture the author scouring a detailed list of symptoms, seeing what else has to be covered. I hugely admire McEwen, and I am certain my suspicion of his meticulous research can be partly explained by my disinclination to delve that deeply into anything. But this clinical style of novel, while interesting and valuable in itself, does not so easily leap into the metaphysical, which is where I personally like to end up. Whereas Dostoevsky, in the person of his narrator, gives himself carte blanche to do with Ivan's brain fever what he will. I am not a doctor, but yet I feel that the moment has come when I must inevitably give the reader some account of the nature of Ivan's illness. Anticipating events, I can say at least one thing. He was, at that moment, on the very eve of an attack of brain fever. Though his health had long been affected, it had offered a stubborn resistance to the fever, which in the end gained complete mastery over it. Though I know nothing of medicine, I venture to hazard the suggestion that he really had perhaps, by a terrible effort of will, succeeded in delaying the attack for a time, hoping, of course, to check it completely. He knew that he was unwell, but he loathed the thought of being ill at that fatal time, at the approaching crisis in his life, when he needed to have all his wits about him, to say what he had to say boldly and resolutely, and to justify himself to himself. He had, however, consulted the new doctor, who had been brought from Moscow by a fantastic notion of Katerina Ivanovna's, to which I have referred already. After listening to him and examining him, the doctor came to the conclusion that he was actually suffering from some disorder of the brain, and was not at all surprised by an admission which Ivan had reluctantly made him. Hallucinations are quite likely in your condition, the doctor opined, though it would be better to verify them. You must take steps at once, without a moment's delay, or things will go badly with you. But Ivan did not follow this judicious advice, and did not take to his bed to be nursed. I am walking about, so I am strong enough. If I drop, it'll be different then. Anyone may nurse me who likes, he decided, dismissing the subject. Perhaps fortunately for Dostoevsky, the MRI and psychopharmacology had not been invented, so illnesses of the brain did seem more existential, or as special connections to God or the devil. Dostoevsky's own epilepsy allowed him to think of himself as a kind of seer, although he knew well it was an illness too. 
Still, I see no reason why our technology should bind us. A few disclaimers, admitted conjectures, a new but unseen doctor who predicts hallucinations, and you're good to go. Is Yvonne schizophrenic? Does he have a tumor? It doesn't matter. Better not to know because the real suggestion is that Yvonne has driven himself mad by trying to understand God intellectually. It's this intellectual madness rather than any plausible illness that has given us the Grand Inquisitor and now Yvonne's fascinating conversation with Satan himself, who both is and is not a figment of Yvonne's imagination. And this Satan is quite an interesting figure. He's not scary, at least not at first glance, so much as persistently annoying. That's because he's a kind of leftover of history, which the nation and Yvonne would very much like to bury. I'm going to quote the description of him at length, because it is very precise, surprising, and actually quite touching in a way. This was a person, or, more accurately speaking, a Russian gentleman of a particular kind, no longer young, qui faisait la cinquantaine, as the French say, with rather long, still thick, dark hair, slightly streaked with gray, and a small pointed beard. He was wearing a brownish reefer jacket, rather shabby, evidently made by a good tailor, though, and of a fashion at least three years old, that had been discarded by smart and well-to-do people for the last two years. His linen and his long scarf-like necktie were all such as are worn by people who aim at being stylish, but on closer inspection his linen was not over-clean, and his wide scarf was very threadbare. The visitor's check trousers were of excellent cut, but were too light in color and too tight for the present fashion. His soft, fluffy white hat was out of keeping with the season. In brief, there was every appearance of gentility on straightened means. It looked as though the gentleman belonged to that class of idle landowners who used to flourish in the times of serfdom. He had unmistakably been, at some time, in good and fashionable society, had once had good connections, had possibly preserved them indeed, but after a gay youth becoming gradually impoverished on the abolition of serfdom, he had sunk into the position of a poor relation of the best class, wandering from one good old friend to another, and received by them for his companionable and accommodating disposition, and as being, after all, a gentleman who could be asked to sit down with anyone, though, of course, not in a place of honor. Such gentlemen of accommodating temper and dependent position, who can tell a story, take a hand at cards, and who have a distinct aversion for any duties that may be forced upon them, are usually solitary creatures, either bachelors or widowers. Sometimes they have children, but if so, the children are always being brought up at a distance, at some aunts, to whom these gentlemen never allude in good society, seeming ashamed of the relationship." They gradually lose sight of their children altogether, though at intervals they receive a birthday or Christmas letter from them and sometimes even answer it. The countenance of the unexpected visitor was not so much good-natured as accommodating and ready to assume any amiable expression as occasion might arise. He had no watch, but he had a tortoiseshell lorgnette on a black ribbon. On the middle finger of his right hand was a massive gold ring with a cheap opal stone in it. In the course of his conversation with Ivan, we find out that the devil's musings on the existence of God, the problem of evil, and so forth are all Ivan's own ideas, which he explored earlier and thought he had discarded. He even brings up the Grand Inquisitor. So he's very much a writer's devil. Imagine having all your old, discarded short stories read back to you by a smarmy but also pathetic guy in too tight pants ensconced on your sofa. This, you may say to yourself, could be me someday, and maybe it already is. 
Now we can start to see why this guy really is scary. His lorgnette much worse than leathery wings. You can't exorcise him through the usual rituals. There's no easy way to get rid of him because this devil is memory itself, a blend of national memory and Yvonne's own rejected past. The harder you try, the more insistently present he becomes. And he pushes every button you have, the guilt, the responsibility, the sense that he and you are really the same deep down. What on earth can you do with a guy like this besides let him drive you mad? What indeed? The writing exercise I propose for this week is to come up with an original devil who can get so deeply into your characters, and I would say even your own system, that they are literally impossible to dismiss. This figure should be a blend of individual and collective memories that the person conjuring them has tried and failed to suppress. Then think about how that person might converse with their devil and the effects those conversations might have.